Let's go. Escobar on the beat. King Legend Talks. Fire Radio. 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 King Legend Talks. for this one because it's about to be super lit we got the legend in the building lunel how you doing i'm fine thank you how are you i am fantastic i cannot complain first of all let me say thank you for taking the time out your day to be here right now and you have been an amazing influence on so many comedians out there so many people look up to you you know um you definitely put in your work you played in plenty of movies, um, Coming to America too. Uh, you're in television as well, Stop Embarrassing Me, Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me. I mean, it's, it's so many things that you're involved with. It's so many things we can talk about. But one of the things I want to start off with by saying is thank you. You know, um, a lot of people, they don't, they don't give you that, that, that credit I feel that you deserve all the time. So I want to say personally, Thank you for everything you've done. Well, it was my pleasure. And I want to thank you for making a whole ass billboard for me. <laughs> I got my nipples popped out. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was computer generated. Remember, I asked you? Yeah. Computer CGI, you said, no, it's real billboard. So yeah. I told my people on my YouTube show up there in Virginia, go by, take a picture by the billboard and DM it to me and I'll put them on my On the story. Yeah. Okay, okay. That's amazing. You know, um, I had to show love. I had to show love. This is a big deal, you know. Um you have to. And a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. So what you did was exceptional and I really appreciate that. And I'll never forget you for that, you know? I appreciate I that. More people than I remember, please believe me. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, let's go ahead and get this conversation started. First of all, I want to say congratulations on winning Red Fox Humor Award presented by the Atlanta Comedy Club. How, how was that? It was presented at the Atlanta Comedy Theater mm -hmm. by them. Gotcha. It was given to me by, I didn't win it. I was presented it. You know, okay. I didn't have a competition or anything to get it. And it was given to me by Red Fox's grandson, which I was like really, really excited about that. It's a beautiful 
trophy. And I'm very, you know, very pleased that they took the time out. Because I got to tell you, you know, you said earlier that I don't know um, about how many people I've influenced. You're right, I don't. Because I don't, you know, there's some people who have reached out and let me know that, and I appreciate that. But the majority of the comics that I believe that are coming up now, they don't feel like they need any mentorship. They feel like they know everything. And so I don't try to convince them that they don't because mm -hmm. this is a part of doing stand-up comedy. But I also don't make, offer no info unless somebody really, really asks me. Because when OGs give me info, I sort of do what they say. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, right. okay, maybe I should do that because they know. But I don't want to just be passing out gems for people who don't care. So you say I influence people. I, I, I accept that and I thank you. But, you know, I'm not, it's not going in my head type thing. I got you. So who, who influenced you in the game? Who, who gave you the ropes, you know, and said this is how everything works? Well, really, it was Sir Paul Mooney, who's from Oakland, California, where I grew up. And Laura Hayes, one of the queens of comedy, we, we were and remain dear friends. And she came to Los Angeles from Oakland before I did. Mm -hmm. And when I was performing on Comic View, she was uh, she was working on the show. So she wasn't, you know, she was part of the cast. And then, you know, she had those movies and playing Cole's mother on Martin. And so I watched her a lot. We talked a lot. She had my back a lot because I would fuck up a lot, you know. Yeah. Before I really got it together, I was, you know, in them streets and had a pretty bad temper and stuff like that. So um, gotcha. finally got that together pretty much. So, so from the streets to comedy, what was that spark for you, that inspiration that that kind of made you want to go towards the comedy direction. How how does that work for you? How did well, that happen? I started out doing comedy. I started doing plays. Mm -hmm. I went from church choir to theater, from theater to, mm, I guess maybe film, believe it or not, and television after that, and then stand up after that. Got you. you know, okay. Singing too, yes. Um, I think maybe having seven brothers and sisters and being the eighth one, nobody really give a shit about what you got to say or what you think or anything like that. It's in a gospel program, is it? Should I not be cussing? No, no, you fine. Absolutely. This is all you. Cuss if you don't want me to. This is all you. Okay, but, you know, I think maybe that for the attention, for the love, and for the uh, freedom of speech, because mm -hmm. I wasn't always like this. I was made like this. When I was young, I was a quiet girl, you know? But then things happened to me. And, you know, I just don't like holding stuff in. It makes me sick. Mm -hmm. I realized that telling stuff and talking made me feel better, make my pressure go down, you know? I got you. Trying to hold stuff in and be polite and all that stuff. And so it just happened this through osmosis. I didn't know it was going to end up here. But mm -hmm. I did for comedy when I was young, and I didn't realize it until I had one of those repressed memories came back 
earlier, and I remember playing Cosby albums, Flip Wilson albums, Red Fox albums, uh, Dolomite albums. I remember playing them when my parents weren't home. So maybe somewhere inside. It kind of just happened that way. Yeah. So as far as now, with all of your success, with being a comedian slash actress, did you ever imagine the amount of support that you would have at this level? Did you foresee that happening? Like, at what point did you know I made it? Like, this is different. This is beyond my local arms reach. People are noticing. At what point was that for you in your career? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? I'm made talking it? to you. I have not, I have not made it in the <laughs> made it since, you know? There's not very women, many women that I can say have made it in this mm -hmm. male-dominated business, you know? I don't mm -hmm. have commercials for trucks on TV. I did have the lingerie ambassadorship for Rihanna. That was great. That's a big deal. That's that a big deal. deal. It remains a big deal and will always be a big deal. Right. But I don't feel like I've made it. I don't have all the traps of people who have made it. You know, I'm, I'm already married. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not whoring around anymore. I used to when we were separated, but not anymore. And um, I don't, you know, I got a couple of whips, but I don't have, and I got a couple, okay, a little property things, but mm. I don't have all the, I'm not out here like, I don't think I'm over, overzealous about, about showing shit, you know? I yeah. love jewelry, everybody knows that. <clears throat> I, I, I like nice place to live, but I don't have a pool and shit. You made it when you got a pool. <laughs> When you got a pool and you got a pool boy that comes and cleans that bitch. Okay. That's to me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I got I, ground, not above ground pool. The I feel you on that. With the lawn chairs around it. <laughs> I got you. I feel you on that. So I guess let me re-explain the question because it's like when I say you made it, I mean as far as you're a very recognizable face. People my know who you are. Not my name. There's still. 80% of people out there who don't know what my name is. I'm okay, 60%. 60% of people out there don't know what my name is because they don't pay attention to the females. Mm. They'll know your face, but they don't take the time to really know your name. You're that girl from, or I seen you in, or, gotcha. in, or is it, uh, it sounds like, you know, no, no. I got you. That makes sense. So I do get upset about that sometimes because I'm just like, Learn my name. It's just my name. I'm not asking you to memorize my motherfucking social security number. But right. you can't learn my name. You don't want to know my name? Let me tell you something uh, funny about this. Your name is Lunell Campbell. My last name is Campbell. Is it? Right. We got the same last name. Well, I hate my last name. <laughs> and I don't ever use it. But thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know where I got it from. It's probably a plantation owner. Listen. I was raised by a man whose last name is Campbell. And I hated him. And he wow. hated me. So that's why I don't like Campbell. And when I got married, I should have changed my name. But mm -hmm. I was seeing, I was doing this, and I just never changed it. I love my married name, but I don't I hate my, my legal last name. Wow. So I'm that's just like, yeah, like Linnell X. <laughs> 
So um, let's talk about a little bit of advice that you could give someone that wants to be a comedian. You know, um, a first new person, never done stand-up before. What advice would you give to that person? I don't. I always say don't do it. Because first of all, if somebody telling you to not do it would discourage you, you know how to boss me in this game? No way. Because nobody encourages you to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. Every now and then you might meet somebody funny at school and people say, you got to be a comedian. But being a comedian is more than just being a goofball. It takes thought. It takes concentration. It takes memorization. It takes stage presence. It takes all of that. Mm-hmm. And I just don't give advice because you have to like be in my face and looking in my face and let me feel how sincere you are about this game. And if I can feel you, then I'll talk to you. If you're just like, ah, my people think I'm funny. Well, I want to be a comedian. How do I be a comedian? You're like, first thing, get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> That's the first thing you can do for me. That's real. That's real. You know, you don't want to waste giving out free gems either. I'm not going to. Yeah. I've done it. And I've seen people do it the exact opposite of what I told them, and then it didn't end well. And then they'd be like, whatever. You know, you can never blame the audience if you have a bad show. I don't give a fuck how drunk. I don't give a fuck. Like, like, like Las Vegas, I don't care. You can never blame the audience. People, I've heard people be like, oh, fuck y'all, that shit was funny. No, nigga, it wasn't. Because if it yeah. was, people would be laughing. You can never blame the audience. It's never the audience's fault. It's always your fault. Right. And, and if you can't deal with that, you know, go get a job at the fucking bank. That's true. And leave now, a lot of people, they got different th- ways they prepare themselves for a show. And your experience, what has worked for you when you get ready for a show? Well, I used to drink a lot. I don't do that anymore, hardly any. Mm. So that would be preparing for my show. And I must say, I'm no funnier drinking than I am not drinking. But I just used to like to party with the audience. The audience is having drinks. I might have a drink with the audience, stuff like that. Mm. But, um, you know, recently I was able to lose some weight. I attributed it to putting down a bottle. So I'm probably not going to go back there again just because I think I look cute. It's pure vanity. It's not sense <laughs> or anything since I think I look a little cuter, so I'm not going to drink no more. But now what I normally do is like eat an edible or something like that. I might smoke a little bit. And I might have a glass of wine, but it's not no more, you know, knocking back bottles of this shit and stuff like that. <laughs> no more of that. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people, what they love about you the most is how real you are. You know, um, some people, you know, they wear a persona, but I believe when people look at Lunell, they really know that, okay, she's real. Like, she's not putting on a front for nobody. Like, this is her. Um, how do you be so unapologetically honest when you're on set, when you're um, on stage? You know, I was watching the Olympics, right? And when when the track runners, when they get, get ready to get out the gate, right? They're prepped and they're ready. And once they start running, they can't stop until they get to the end. Right. Once I started being outspoken 30 years ago, even though the public and everybody wasn't always on board with it, I couldn't go back. I couldn't start off being ballsy and then punk out and turn into something else. So Mm -hmm. I can't stop until the race is over, bro. That's true. I respect that. That's spoken. That's spoken like a a real legend, in my opinion. That's that's how 
that's how we look up to you and we respect you. You know, um, it's very important for people to be real and organic, you know, when it comes to what they're trying to pursue in their career. Because people definitely can tell when you're being fake about something. And it never has that same delivery. Yeah, but unfortunately, in this day and age, nobody cares if they're fake or if you're real or if you're honest or if you're a good person. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they don't care about that. They used to mean something. But actually, the nice people, the people who have integrity and the people who have some home training, they're not the ones getting the bag right now. Unfortunately. That's true. And so look at Viola Davis. And she was saying that she have the motherfucking same credits that a Meryl Streep does. She can act as well as Meryl Streep. Them two together would be a power play in a film. It'll mm -hmm. probably happen. But Viola Davis was earning a third of the fucking money that Meryl Streep was. And this is Viola Davis. So if you think it's not a fight under that, you know, mm -hmm. it's always it's always a, a struggle. There's never not a struggle in comedy. You can play Radio City Music Hall one day and be going through a greasy, nasty kitchen in a club the next day. There's no mm -hmm. consistency like when you become a music star or, or a movie star. And comedy right. it's, it's feast or famine. It's great or it's shit. <laughs> yeah, that's brutally honest right there. So what about, your, let's talk about struggle. And, you know, um, I'm quite sure through your career, you've had ups and you have downs. Um, how have you been making it through those ups and downs? What is that one thing that keeps you going when you feel like, man, my back against the wall, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore? I started the race. I got to run it. I got to run it. I got to jump over some of the hurdles sometime or go up, up under the dirt and swim in the water. I, I, I can't do nothing else no more. Mm -hmm. I don't have the fucking attitude for it. <laughs> you know, I can't go to work at nine to five because mm -hmm. Karen look at me a certain way. Now I'm going to, back to jail. You know, the first thing I'm going to do, if anybody pisses me off, I'm going to yell out, everybody turn your cameras on because it's about to fucking go down. But right. I, 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 I just have to keep going forward. I feel like I want to do it for black women my age, you know, mm -hmm. because everybody wants to cancel you out when you start to get older. But isn't getting older the goal? Like, dying young is fucking stupid. And right. it kills not just you, but everybody in your family. So the goal is to get old. That's the goal. You know, I'm trying to get like 30 more years older right i wish everyone felt that way because that is so important i'm glad you put emphasis on that dying young is stupid you know there's so many people that's out here young and they putting themselves in situations they really don't have to be in and a lot of his yeah they got the easy way out but your mama's heart broken forever your sisters and brothers are affected forever your cousins your future cousins it's going to be a story within the family like the it's a it's a legacy and mm -hmm. it's a good one. You know, I want to get old. Yes, I'm getting older, but I'm a bad little bitch for to be my age. And I'm still having lots of fun. And, you know, I hope that the Lord does not strike me down with any sort of disease or anything like that. Because as long as I can run this mouth. Mm -hmm. And 
course, I stay in it because now there's some money in it. <clears throat> when I started doing comedy, there was no fucking money. If you got $50, you was balling out of control. But, you know, the, the bag has gotten bigger. And I think that for the people who've been putting in the work, or even if you haven't been putting in the work and you're just gifted, because there are some gifted people that are funny out there. You mm -hmm. know, gifted like this internet is very funny. They got some comedy writers on here. Like, the internet is undefeated. Right. And after my ass off, you know, between all the Instagrams and TikToks and shits like that and stuff like that, some really funny content out there. But it also generates money now. Absolutely. No, that's it, a to stay in the game. Well, it seems to me you have adjusted very well to social media. Um, a lot of people... You, you know, think so? <laughs> yes, you, you've adjusted very well to social media. Um, people could definitely take a class from you on how you operate with the social media. So I, uh, I don't know. Ooh. I'm telling you, you do a great job with it. So how has social media changed the game for comedians, in your opinion? Well, I believe that it's easier for people to call themselves comedians on social media. Right. You know, I prefer to say internet actor because some of these people that's doing these skits have the potential to be great actors. Okay? Mm -hmm. That don't mean that you can grab a microphone and stand up and entertain an audience who's never seen you before in your life for 20, 30, or 60 minutes. That's not what that means. Right. For a person who is a real comedian, yeah, we took offense, take offense to them being called comics, but they're doggone for sure actors, you know? Absolutely. Now, we live in a world where things are very sensitive and it's very easy to be canceled because you can offend somebody without even trying nowadays. Um, as a comedian, back when things were starting out, when things were less sensitive, do you think it's easier to become a comedian today? Like if you just started in this day and time when everything is very sensitive? Or was it better back then when you can just be unfiltered and honest? Because there's a lot of things I feel like happen in the world nowadays where you have to watch what you say because if you say the wrong thing, even if you're joking, you know, you can offend somebody and be canceled. So how do you feel about that? Well, I think it was better back then because Andrew Dice Clay would never work in his life now, the mm -hmm. shit he has said. But because he said it and we liked it, he can still work because that's his brand and he's legendary. Mm -hmm. If we were as sensitive back then as now, we wouldn't have had a Bernie Mac. True. Talking about smacking the fucking kids around and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, they have you fucking investigated for that shit now. I think we're very big punks. I think that, you know, from being black to being white to being LGBTQ community, everyone can be fucking talked about if it's funny. There's a difference between being offensive and fucking funny. A white person can tell me a nigga joke. And if it's funny, I'm going to laugh at it. Now, after that, I'm going to be like, you wrong for that. Don't you tell anybody <laughs> else that I'll beat your ass. But if it's funny. Right. You know, even if it's a little offensive, but it's got to be funny. Funny's got to be the end result. It's got to be funny. Yeah. That 
it can be offensive and stuff like that. But I think that it was just much freer then. I, I don't do much censoring myself. Mm -hmm. I pretty much say whatever the fuck I want to. But I do think more about what it is I do want to say a little bit more, you know, because I'm not out trying to make nobody have a bad time. I want them to come to the goddamn comedy club and have a great time. I want right. them to talk about a show in the car. Not just me, but my opener and my feature act, too. I want it to be a whole experience. You don't just come when you come to a Linnell show. You just don't see three people standing right here. We got all mm -hmm. kinds of going on. And I think my show is one of the best ones out there. But it's extremely uh, explicit. And right. Hey, what the fuck I say? Because like I said, I came up through Paul Mooney, you know, and he didn't let back down for nobody. And people was like, well, he might have been a little bigger if he wasn't so offensive. Well, you know, you some people have certain goals and other people have other ones. And if you're comfortable and you got the brand to say what the fuck you want to say, like a Dick Gregory or something like that, then, mm -hmm. you know, it would be dumb to change for anybody. That'd be selling out. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. So let's talk about this lingerie line that you got going on um, with Rihanna being a part of that whole I do not have process. a line. I'm an ambassador for yes. her lingerie line. Correct, correct. And being a part of that, um, how was that experience? Like, how does it feel to be a part of that? Well, I mean, you know, it's Rihanna, for God's sake. You know, it's not like uh, Rainbow or fucking Rite Aid or CVS lingerie line. Um, at my age and with my weight, of course, that feels great and empowering and sexy and nice and still classy. Try to be a little classy about it because I'm not a motherfucking thought. And being a thought of my age is desperate and pitiful. But I tried to show the lingerie the way that to feature the the the, the lines and the different designs that she had. It was mm -hmm. never my goal to put my old fat ass on Instagram twice a month. But we're <laughs> talking about Rihanna and she pays well. So absolutely. It's like that train, it started going, you know, the contract started going. The lingerie start coming, the catalog start coming. You, you got, you got, you got to do it now. You done done it. Now right. you finally done it. So then you got to do it. And so, um, this is transition a little bit to what is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on stage, on set? Doesn't matter. What is something that just stands out to you? You like, wow, that was pretty embarrassing. So many. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I was doing a play this one time, right, on stage. Mm -hmm. And I had to wear stockings, no panties, stockings and a teddy that snaps in between your legs, right? Right. So I'm just fucking performing my ass off and people is loving me. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm killing this shit. I mean, this is great. And then I look down and I notice that my... Teddy had unsnapped, and I was just giving the pussy. This back when you had hair on your pussy. Oh man! Answering everybody looking at my pussy. That was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> you you didn't notice that until the last minute. No, I didn't feel that it was open. Wow! Now I had a similar story like that happened when it went on stage. Uh -oh. I was walking down the street uh, from school one day, and I felt this. Well, let me start off in the classroom. Somebody gave me a wedgie in class before, all right? And so I didn't even notice 
anything different, but everyone kept staring at me. Because so, it was hard in school? No, no, no. It won't even that. It won't even that. So when I'm walking home, it was windy. You say what? You had a wet spot on your pants? No, no, no. No wet spot. So I'm walking home, and it was windy. And I felt that breeze, and I felt a little bit too much. And then when I went to go fill, my underwear had ripped. So the person who gave me a wedgie actually ripped the boxer brief, the little, the okay. um, the strap that goes around it. He ripped it to the point where my whole backside was exposed. But you had pants on, though, right? I had pants on, but I felt that breeze. Bruh, and that I, no, that's not embarrassing. That's nobody, not embarrassing. Nobody knew. Nobody knew but you, right? Well, I don't know. They were laughing at me all the way home. Oh, do you think your pants were ripped as well? Possibly. Uh, at that point, I was just like, let me just hurry and get out of these clothes. And your drawers were ripped inside your pants. Nobody knew but you. So that's not embarrassing enough. That was weak as fuck. You need to come up with a better one. All right, all right. One time I fell up the stairs. That's a long story short. <laughs> that's always funny and embarrassing. And that was at school, too. On TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> now that's absolutely. You fall up the steps. That's it. that's pretty funny. We love that. Cause it's like how you fall up the stairs. Oh, it it's happens just, all day. It, Watch TikTok. It's all over TikTok. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, have you ever had to deal with like bullies or anything like that when you were in school, or anybody ever tried to pick on Lunell? I really don't imagine anyone really trying to mess with you, based on everything I see about you now. So, let's let's hear a story about somebody that tried you one time and you had to set them straight. Well, there's too many to go into. I went to all white <clears throat> elementary, junior high, high and high school. So there was, you know, moments. But actually, my high school moments were overcame with humor. I did not have to whip nobody ass. And when a white boy kicked me in the ass in junior high, he didn't know my daddy worked at the school and he seen him. And he went over the fence and he dealt with that. Uh, other than uh. You know, just regular seven brothers and sisters teasing type shit. But I, I don't really have a problem out in these streets. That's awesome. You know, um, a lot of people, they always got something that happened, you know. But the fact that you <laughs> made it through everything pretty smooth, that's what's the up. The said she fell on the bus step. <laughs> <laughs> got all fucked up. That's funny. So let's <laughs> let's talk about coming to America, too. Okay. Um, how was that for you? How did that feel? What was that experience like? Let me ask you something. How was it for you? How did you feel? What was it like to you? For I me? For me, you. my honest opinion, I laughed from the beginning to the end. And then I watched it again. Yes. Because it was that funny that I felt like if somebody was talking while I was watching it, because I watched it at home, I streamed it right at home. And so when I felt like, okay, maybe somebody was talking, I'm going to go play it again. So, so I played it again. So you didn't miss any of the dialogue, right? Right, right. And the opening scene for me, that was a big deal. Like you saw so many faces on that camera screen. And then, you know, everyone just they played their role well. It was to the T. That's my personal opinion. Now, how was it for you? Well, <clears throat> it was one of the most prideful moments in my film career. Because when you you know everybody I know on this planet has seen coming to America the first one, right? You never in your wildest dreams when you're sitting in Oakland on the bed looking at 
coming to like you never in your wildest dreams think that one day you're gonna live in LA and they're gonna redo this movie 32 years later and you're gonna be in it. You can't even dream that. That's some God shit right there. You Absolutely. Can't dream that shit. That's like saying they're gonna do Cleopatra and I'm gonna be Cleopatra. Like what bitch you smoking crack? <laughs> so when the opportunity came up. I, I couldn't believe it because I had just done Dolomite. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, this was two Eddie Murphy movies back to back. Now, people try to talk trash, say they thought it would be funnier because it has so many comedians in it. Well, it's not a motherfucking comedy show. It's a sequel to an already established film. Right. That. I got to work with legends all at once. That's a big deal fucking day. Uh, we were doing it on Tyler Perry's studio, which was almost brand new. They had just dedicated all those studios to Hallie, to Sidney Poitier, to Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee, to Oprah, to Whoopi, to Cecily Tyson before she died. What the fuck did I feel like coming to work? There'll never be anything as good as that again. Not for me. And there's right. no Fun shit. I got some fun shit lined up, but there's never going to be that again. Because if any one of them passes away, it'll never be, you know what I'm saying? It's just mm -hmm. the only person who wasn't there was Madge Sinclair that played uh, Prince Hakeem's mother. From the first coming to America, they were able to get about 95% of that cast, I feel like. Now we're still alive, nigga. James L. Jones is 250 years old. Right. He was able to do this movie. You know, praise God. It was able to find, oh, what's his name? Oh, what, oh the guy who's, she's your queen. <laughs> he was back. And then they, you know, they threw a little rap in there. They had this the underground, rest in peace to Shock G, you know. This mm -hmm. was phenomenal. The wardrobe was amazing. We got to work with Ruth Carter, who's the first and only black female to win the motherfucking Oscar for wardrobe in the history of the world. She's the world. The Hollywood Walk of Fame. She's cool as a motherfucking fan. She's a boss. She don't have to touch none of that shit. She did Black Panther. She's doing it again. What the fuck was it like to do the movie? Anybody <laughs> that don't like that movie can suck my dick sideways. And I said that because I had a wonderful time doing that film. And guess what? They breaded a bitch out too, so you can take that and run and tell that. <laughs> Absolutely. So now, the, the, one of the, my favorite scenes in the film is when they had to get that whisker from the lion. The lion, yeah. That going to do that, and I had the script. That was that that scene right there was amazing for me because I just tried to put myself in that situation. It was like, would I do this? And I'm not sure. And actually, actually, I can tell you, I wouldn't. No, do it. nigga, no. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Lion? What? <laughs> Not us. We're not African, and we're not brave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would not do that at all. Um, so can you share with us an experience that you had while making, uh, being a part of that film, you know, with maybe another actor or something that you just thought was hilarious and maybe didn't make the special movie or moment. something? Many, many special moments. To sit there and talk to Rosé, you know, he was... Like, I, I didn't, wasn't, you know, a big Rick Ross fan until I met that nigga. 
and he's charming as fuck, for real. Like, I get it, bitches, you know? <laughs> and so that was nice to, to cater, cater, right. get the opportunity to cater to John Amos out of mm -hmm. all the wonderful memories that he's made for me. Who didn't want John Amos as your daddy? Right. I did, for more than one reason, and for more than one daddy, too. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know, to to work with Ruth and to work with Wesley and to watch Eddie and Arsenio together and Tracy Morgan, like there wasn't a bad thing about it, not nothing. Absolutely. And so to go ahead and I just want to go ahead and, and wrap this interview up because it's been an amazing opportunity to speak with you. You know, you're, you're Lunel. You said... You feel like people don't know your name, but I feel like people do. You're you are Lunel. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you are Lunel. Everyone in the chat, just put Lunel in the chat for us, real uh, quick. This is Lunel. <laughs> so we're big on legacy here on this show. You know, um, one of the things I always ask my special guests on the platform is, "What do you want to be remembered for?" When people talk about your name, when people speak on Lunel, what do you want to be the first thing that comes to their mind about you and your personality? Well, you know, I got to be careful what I say, because if I stroke the fuck out next week, you'll have the table. This is her last. This is what she want to be remembered. We're by. not going to put that out there in the atmosphere. I got to make this good. This is going to be the fucking sound bite. This is going to be the clip. <laughs> We're not going to put that out there in the atmosphere, y'all. I don't know what she's talking about right now. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, no, I would I would want to be remembered as being brave, you know, and uh, doing it like Sinatra, my way, and for being a, for the most part, to try to be a ambassador for the regular folk and um that you know i love being a mom and i hope the more opportunities open up for women in the industry stuff like that can you get absolutely. all that on film some <laughs> we got all of that we, we got absolutely all of it y'all this is lunel i think she's one of the greatest of all time and i said it i think she's one of the greatest comedians slash actresses of all time and she doesn't get the credit she deserves and i feel like we need to give her her flowers right now are you single i'm just asking for a friend i'm married i'm married i'm married i know all the good ones are <laughs> billboard i feel like i should you know slash my titties at him or something no no you're good you're good <laughs> all right done all that <laughs> all right thank you so much for stopping by all right thanks Anywhere everybody for, wa uh, for watching and support my brother here. He's doing a very good job. King Legend 757. Shout out to your wife and your family. And thank you for this opportunity, bro. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great day. All right.